On today's episode, you're gonna learn about 10 tips to provide wildlife habitat in your yard or an area of landscape where you have influence. We'll cover food, water, shelter, and space in ways that you can enhance them. Welcome to Naturally Florida, a podcast about Florida's natural areas and the wild things that live here. I'm Lara Milligan. And I'm Shannon Carnavali. This podcast is brought to you by UF IFAS Extension in Polk and Pinellas Counties. All right, Lara, I don't know if you've been watching the news of the weather in other parts of the country or if you've seen everyone's amazing ski vacations on their social media posts, but it's certainly still winter in most of the country. And it, I don't know about you, but it does not feel like winter here. Yes, despite the title of our last episode, Winter in the Sunshine State, it is quite (laughs) hot right now. It is definitely spring already. (laughs) And like you, we were talking about before we started recording, there are wildflowers everywhere in bloom. I'm seeing new buds on my blackberry bushes. It is it is time in Florida for things to start growing. And we really wanted to bring this episode to everyone today because when we think spring, people usually associate that with animals and baby mm-hmm. animals and wildlife and the abundance of spring. Yes. So today we're going to give you all different ideas for how you can enhance wildlife habitat in your yard or an area of natural land where you have influence. And I was talking with Shannon before, I was saying like this whole episode is going to be a call to action. We're not going to end with a call mm-hmm. to action. The whole episode is a call to action. <laughs> so we'll we'll just get started. And the first thing that we really want you guys to consider, if you do have a lot of traditional turf grass in your yard, if you have an area where you could consider removing that turf grass and replacing it with an alternative ground cover, Uh, There's tons of options and tons of resources, too, to help you find a good one for your yard. This is also a great area to consider a wildflower area if you have a yard large enough for that or if you're not in an HOA, because it can look a little unkempt, especially as those wildflowers are establishing. But there are amazing resources out there for this, and we will put a link to a search that you can do for wildflowers that grow well in your county. But something you want to consider with limiting the amount of turf grass is one of the reasons we're doing this is when we talk about wildlife habitat, what we're really trying to do is balance out that ecosystem a little bit. Right now, you might be looking at your yard and thinking, this is a super residential area, like very urban, or there's just, it's not an ecosystem like we normally think of. But everywhere is an ecosystem. It's just been altered from its natural state. So by removing some turf grass and adding some of that texture back in, like Lara was mentioning with different ground covers, you could be providing food or shelter or potentially, depending on the species, an area that might collect a little bit more water. I want to stress, like we're not anti-turf grass. It definitely has its place in your yard, but in Mm -hmm. in the idea and mindset of creating wildlife habitat is just not the best option. And kind of building on that, not only just looking at alternative ground covers, but the different layers in your yard and by you kind of want to think like vertical layers. So we have like our grasses, our mid-story, our overstory, or canopy. And having those different layers in your yard provides a variety of opportunities for different wildlife species. Right. And I mentioned the word texture earlier. And what I should have used was layering. That's, <laughs> that's our more technical term for it here. So you can look at the Florida Friendly Landscaping Plant Guide 
and actually look at it based on the type of plant you're trying to add. So if you're trying to add a shrub or a mid-story plant, you can actually go in that plant guide and look just at shrubs. Same for overstory trees, or if you're trying to add something for pollinators, which are also an important part of wildlife habitat, you can essentially shop in that guide for a plant that has the flower that you're interested in or has, you know, the right characteristics to thrive in sun or shade or any combination thereof. And so we'll put a link to the Florida Friendly Plant Guide in our show notes, but you can also easily find it at your local extension office or simply by Googling it. Yes. And there is a smartphone application as well. And like Shannon mentioned, it's just, it's super user-friendly, very easy plant type, plant shape, flower color, all characteristics of your yard, native or not native. And it gives you an output of all different plants that you could put in your yard. So amazing, amazing resource there. Our number three tip for backyard wildlife habitat is to provide snags and brush piles. If you remember back to our cavity nesters episode, which was season one, episode eight, Snags provide a lot of habitat for our cavity nesting bird species. It also provides food and shelter for a bunch of their prey items like insects and amphibians and um, things like small salamanders. Yeah, and decomposers too, like mushrooms, will totally take advantage of rotting wood, which of course attracts, I don't know about you, Shannon, but I always see squirrels just going to town on some mushrooms. So, yes, yes, yes. They provide a lot of habitat, and there are some things to consider with providing snags. And for those of you who have not listened to the Cavity Nesters episode or don't know what we're talking about, a (laughs) snag is a standing dead tree. And those trees are pretty strong. They're going to stay upright like that, assuming they don't have other damage, like a hollow core or they've been hit by a uh, car or something. They'll stay for many years standing perfectly upright. But one of the things that you need to keep in mind is the safety of other parts of your yard isn't in an area where it's safe to have a standing dead tree. We are very happy to let you know that snags, even as short as only 15 feet, provide a lot of wildlife benefit. So if you have a much taller tree that has died and you're like, oh, man, (laughs) I know it's important to leave it, but like it's hurricane season. Feel free to cut the top off. You're okay. Yes. And you can even down the whole thing and just leave the logs in your yard too. So if you're like, you know, a risk person (laughs) and that's uh, like not going to happen, you can also just consider putting it horizontally down in your yard. So another thing Shannon and I have probably mentioned in one of our episodes, the wildlife need food, water, cover, shelter. Those are the essentials. Same goes for us. So it's critical that anything that we can do to provide water for wildlife, especially right now we're in the dry season, is going to be beneficial. Probably the easiest option and what I see most often is installing a bird bath in your yard. And it's easy enough to buy a bird bath and stick it in your yard and put water in it. But there are some things that you have to consider. <laughs> it's never that, that easy. Never that easy. <laughs> so most importantly is that we want to make sure that water is clean for the species that are going to be bathing in it and or drinking it. So we want you to clean it out regularly and do that without chemicals. Typically, anything that's growing in there is just going to be easily scrubbed away. Uh, like algae. So just get a nice scrubby brush or sponge and clean it out and put some fresh water in that on a regular basis. Ideally, also animals will say, hey, this is a consistent source of water. So if you're going to invest in it, we really encourage you to keep it full of water consistently throughout the year. Something to keep in mind when cleaning your bird bath, as Larry said, when we mention regularly, 
we're not talking monthly. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) This is not part of your monthly chores. This is part of your every five to six day chores. So once during the work week and then again on the weekends, it's good to go out and scrub your bird bath. Doesn't have to be a lot. We're just talking a little bit. And the reason we ask you to do it that often is you want to avoid harboring mosquitoes as well. Mm-hmm. So things like algae probably aren't going to grow that quickly and need to be scrubbed. It might look perfectly fine, but mosquito eggs that might be clinging to the edge of your bird bath, they require stagnant water. And that water just needs to be agitated twice a week to prevent them from turning into larvae and creating a mosquito haven. So make sure you're scrubbing your bird bath a couple of times a week. It doesn't have to take long, just a couple of minutes. That will really help reduce mosquito attraction to the bird bath. Yes. So there is, like everything Shannon and I say, there's actually a lot more to consider than just throwing it in the ground. So we will link another resource in the show notes with specifics for bird baths because there is a couple other things to consider for that. But for the sake of time, we're going to talk about perhaps one of my favorite things, which is planting native plants. Yay! (laughs) I mean, we've already talked about the turf grass and switching that over to some alternative ground covers or wildflowers and the layering of the vegetation. If you can do that with native species or just consider planting native species in your yard, that's going to be a huge benefit to area wildlife, big and small. And just one thing we want to bring up is not every plant in the Florida Friendly Landscaping Planting Guide that we mentioned earlier is a native species. And that's okay. They're not problematic. They've been, you know, reviewed. They do well in Florida yards and neighborhoods, but they may not all be native. It will say if the species is native and you can filter by them being native. But if you want to plant native vegetation to specifically support native local wildlife, such as birds and mammals, it's just one extra step you might need to consider. And you can always find a native plant nursery near you. They would be willing to make recommendations, as would your local extension office. Yes, we are here to support you. Yeah. So our next tip on our backyard tips for wildlife habitat is to consider providing artificial habitat, such as bird or bat houses, Also, nest boxes, which is just another word for a birdhouse. We've talked about several different kinds of nest boxes in our cavity nester episode, and we discussed bats at length in our bat episode. So go check those out if you'd like some more information, and those show notes also have resources. But these types of artificial habitat additions that you make to your yard, there's a lot to consider in general, and so definitely research the particular species you're trying to attract before you go out and buy a bat house or a bird house, probably more specifically a bird house. Right. <laughs> yes. Yeah. We've been doing some nest box workshops and people have had success attracting birds. So you, you do have to do your homework, but it's worth it and can definitely benefit our local species. So that's a great, great way for you to not only experience wildlife in your yard, but help support them. And we've talked a lot about native plants and mentioned non-native plants, but One thing we really want to stress is if you have an invasive plant in your yard, we highly encourage you to remove that plant. And even more so is to replace that with what we would call an alternative, an alternative plant that is a native (laughs) species or, again, a non-native species that's recommended in the Florida Friendly Landscaping Guide. 
Yeah, and just as a reminder for everyone, we did cover it in our Invasive Species Terminology episode, Season 2, Episode 2. But an invasive species is a species that meets three standardized requirements. The species must be non-native to our area. It must have been introduced by people. It doesn't matter if it was intentionally or not. And the species must cause or be likely to cause environmental harm, economic harm, or harms to human health. And these three requirements are how some agencies, including UFIFIS Extension, will make recommendations on whether or not a species is classified as an invasive species. And so these aren't just willy-nilly terms we're throwing around that describe weeds or plants we don't like, um, but they are specific plants that are harmful to the ecology or are causing some other issue. Yes. And if you're ever unsure, there's several resources available to you. Of course, your local extension office. There's also the UF, what we call the UF IFAS assessment, which again, we will include in the show notes where you can type either the Latin name or the common name to see kind of what the status is based on the latest research that the university is doing. There's also another really awesome resource through the UF IFAS bookstore called Plant This, Not That, which is basically exactly what we're talking about. If you have an invasive species, what's another plant that you could plant in its place? And that one has really great pictures. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's an amazing guide. Now, something kind of slightly off the topic of what we've been talking about, but relevant to supporting wildlife is the idea of managing your pets. I know mm-hmm. it's not an exciting thing to talk about, but I'm sure you've heard how detrimental domestic cats and, and also feral cats can be to our local wildlife. Birds are usually the most common Thing that's cited, but it's same for smaller mammal species as well. And it's not only cats, it's dogs uh-huh. and people releasing exotic pets, right? You go to the store with your kid and they see a cute little baby snake and they're like, oh, I want to get it. And then they don't think about how giant that snake's going to get, how long that snake's going to live. And they're like, uh-uh, and they just let it go. If you have a pet that you can no longer care for, there are exotic pet amnesty days and exotic pet amnesty programs. You can always call Florida Fish and Wildlife and say, hey, I've got this insert exotic, I don't know, reptile, whatever it is you might have. I've got this thing that I can no longer care for. I want to make sure to get rid of it in a responsible manner. And they will find someone who is able to care for that animal. It will live out a long, happy, healthy life with a good owner that can care for that exotic animal. You are not just dumping your pet on the side of the road. You're making sure that they have a good future home. Yes. Yeah. And, and for cats, the, the main recommendation is just keep your cat indoors. Sometimes there's ordinances against that. So just check with your local city or county. And that keeps your cat safe as well from coyotes. You can listen to mm-hmm. our coyote episode if you want to learn more about that. So we want your cat to be safe and we want our local wildlife to be safe as well. It's also important to manage your dogs specifically if we're talking about wildlife that they may be able to put in their mouth. There's a few reasons for this. One is we want to keep your dog safe. If they munch down on the wrong animal, it could be toxic to them. Think cane toads. We have an episode on that. (laughs) And we also don't want your dog to unnecessarily harass wildlife that's just trying to live. A classic example in my part of the state is we have a lot of residents that have gopher tortoise burrows on their property. And they routinely are training their dogs not to go near the burrow, to leave the tortoise alone. And it's, some, it's a great opportunity to train your pet and have that relationship with your dog 
but it does require some effort. Now, another thing that we can do to protect our local wildlife species is consider how you're using pesticides, if any, in your yard. Typically with a lot of the pesticides, especially kind of the ones that homeowners are using, not at the commercial level, they're this broadcast application. And so it's not targeting a particular species. At Extension, we really, really stress what we call integrated pest management, which is about 15 podcasts in itself. But (laughs) the idea is that you use the least toxic form of pest control first. Consider if there are uh, biocontrols that you could release. Think like ladybugs or mantids. Shannon, help me. Yeah. So there's also companion planting, which is a way to utilize the pest resistant qualities of some plants to you know, create an area that has less pests. There's ways that you can choose specific landscaping plants that are simply not at risk for certain types of pests. There's all sorts of things you can do to reduce the need for pesticide in your area. And the reason that we want to reduce that pesticide use is because what we're killing with pesticides, specifically insecticides, is we might be impacting the food chain. And if we think about the the bats and the small birds, what they eat in your yard, it's oftentimes small insects that are pest species. And so by having those wildlife, if you're trying to attract them to your yard, you don't want to be getting rid of their food source because that's part of their habitat and part of their ecosystem, that food, water, shelter. Again, we need to make sure that we're not preemptively getting rid of all of their food. So if we think back to our last episode, when we were talking about the tree swallows in my area, they are all there for the freshwater lake midges that are terrible. Yes. (laughs) They're awful. It's like the plague out there right now. (laughs) But the birds are just swooping in and eating those bugs. And I sit in my house and I look at them and I'm like, do your work, like eat those bugs, be my natural pesticide. And that's just, that's fantastic. Yes. And there is, again, a lot more to integrated pest management, but hopefully I'll get the general concept. And of course, we can provide some additional information on that as well. Okay, Shannon, we've made it to the last one. Yay. Yay. Tip number 10. Okay. This (laughs) is kind of a big ask, but the idea is expanding the scale of your habitat. And by that, we just mean looking not only at your yard, but your neighbor's yard. So perhaps you don't want to create your whole backyard or front yard as wildlife habitat, just as a little segment. Then you could knock on your neighbor's door and say, hey, this is what I'm doing here. And if you did it right here next to mine, then it would be that much bigger. It's kind of the like bird's eye view thinking of expanding the scale of the wildlife habitat that you're providing. It does require you to talk to your neighbor, which I know is like, yeah, I know. (laughs) You you can do it. (laughs) Oh, man, you're not wrong. It needs to be done. I mean, yes. if you look at the Google map of your neighborhood, you can you can clearly see where there are trees and where there are not. So if you just think about those property lines as opportunities to work together to add habitat, that's all we're talking about in this one. And for our condo dwellers or our rental friends who might not have a landscape, there's no reason you can't talk to condo management or your landlord and be like, hey, is it cool if we add just like a little bit of a pollinator garden here? Or is there a section of, you know, this back area that nobody uses anyway? Can we leave it unmown? Just leave it so it can grow a little texture and add some cover for some species. And if you're not having any luck there, 
We say it every episode. I feel like this is our most common call to action. But hey, call your city staff. But at this point, maybe they're getting sick of hearing from you. I don't know. I hope you're calling. But just be like, hey, there's this little park in my neighborhood, and I would love to add a bat house. Or can we get together and add some owl boxes, some species-specific habitat? Can we add a native plant to this corner of the park? These are all examples of ways that you can expand the scale of the habitat in your area. Because when we think about our overall residential areas, we have, you know, essentially disrupted a large part of natural ecosystem. Let's try to mimic just a just a smidgen, like just a little of what <laughs> would naturally be there and add some habitat back. Because once you do, it's like that old movie, Field of Dreams. You know, if you build it, they will come. You will have birds and it will change your mornings when you can hear little birdies out there singing their song. It'll just make you so, so happy. So I'm going to leave you with that optimistic, inspirational view that you just had of what your neighborhood is going to look like after you do all of these 10 things and say thank you so much for listening. We are so happy to share these 10 tips for backyard wildlife habitat. I encourage you to look at our show notes. Follow up on those episodes we mentioned earlier if you'd like to listen to them again. And let us know if you have any questions. This is Lara and my favorite topic. I mean, anytime we can talk to anyone about adding habitat, we're all over it. So get in touch if you need anything. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks for listening to Naturally Florida, a podcast about Florida's natural areas and the wild things that live here. Stay updated on new episodes by subscribing on your favorite podcast platform. If you enjoyed today's episode, consider sharing it with a friend. Naturally Florida is produced by your hosts, Shannon Carnavali and Lara Milligan. If you have questions or suggestions, submit them online at naturallyfloridapodcast.com. This podcast is brought to you by the University of Florida's Institute of Food and Agricultural Sciences Extension, an equal opportunity institution. Thank you for listening.